guys, I'm your host Tara A. Devlin and welcome to this week's episode of Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Bankai Baffling Japanese Internet Mysteries Volume 3 is now out. If you enjoy the particular mysteries that only the internet can offer, then do head over and check it out right now. We also have a brand new design up in the Kowabana merchandise store. You can check that out at kowabana.store. We have shirts, mugs, stickers, masks and much more, so do check it out and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're looking at some dangerous encounters with the other side. Brief moments that, if they had gone any other way, well, the survivors might not be here to tell us about what happened. First up, three friends visit a famous ghost spot that has a rather odd name. Why does it have that name and has it earned its dangerous reputation? Find out in Cape Companion. Eleven PM S, K and I were at a famous local suicide spot. The Pacific Ocean was only a two hour drive from our town. If you drove along the coast, there was a section of guardrail that was missing along a curve and the cliff face there rose sharply out of the sea. To the untrained eye, the height of the cliff was about 50 metres from the ocean to the top. And this was the spot in question. If you were to jump into the ocean from there, your body would land directly on the rocks below, sending you on an immediate U-turn to heaven. And apparently, they really did get a so-called U-turn rush there on occasion. Cape Companion. That was the name given to the cliff. We parked at a nearby rest stop with a toilet and a parking lot, then we walked over to it. Come to think of it, why do they call this place Cape Companion? I asked Kay as we walked up towards the cliff. He was the one who brought S and I there that night. How the hell would I know? He said with a laugh. S tried to stifle a yawn next to him. But I have heard a rumour. Apparently, if you come here, then you'll be overcome with this urge to die. What do you mean? Hmm, well, one of the stories I heard had three guys come here, just like us. But then, one of them suddenly started acting weird, and then he tried to jump over the cliff. But then one of the guys who tried to stop him ended up joining him and they both fell over the edge. Huh. Well, that sure sucks for that guy, S muttered as he tried to stifle yet another yawn. He was no doubt tired. He was the one who drove us there, after all. Whenever we visited spots like this, it was always Kay's idea, seeing as he was the one into all of this stuff. I would simply agree to go along, and it was S who would have to drive. It didn't just suck. He was the only one who died. Huh? That was the only thing I could say. I mean, it was absurd. It wasn't the guy who tried to jump, but rather the guy who tried to stop him who died. I don't know the full details, but apparently there have been numerous incidents like that over the years. Huh. And exactly how many cases have been just like that? S asked, suddenly intrigued. 
<laughs> no idea. I didn't ask for the full details. Ah, there it is. As we were talking, we reached the curve with the section of guardrail missing. It was about the length of two cars lined up, one behind the other. There was a streetlight nearby, but it seemed to be burnt out. It only vaguely worked, and it cast the area in an eerie glow. Waves crashed heavily below. There's nobody here, S said, sounding bored out of his mind. Well, according to another rumour I heard, you can see numerous people at the bottom of the cliff. Or sometimes, you can see hands reaching out for you, Kay said as he stepped over the guardrail. There was no safety rope or anything on the other side. It really was like it was saying, Hey, go ahead, please jump. Hey, Kay, that's dangerous. What are you going to do if you suddenly feel like you want to jump too? Ignoring my warning, Kay stood at the edge of the cliff and looked down. Holy shit, man! (sighs) That moron. He should fall over the edge. Would serve him right. If you want to die, then go do it by yourself, S said. He sat on the guardrail with his back to the cliff, and then took a sip from the bottle of juice he'd brought with him from the car. As for me, after debating what I should do for a moment, I finally stepped over the guardrail and readied myself to move, just in case. A short while later, after staring at the sea for some time, Kay finally stood up. Hmm, there's nothing here. But, on that note... I don't suppose either of you guys feels like dying right now. What the hell kind of question is that? I thought. But I shook my head and answered. No, not really. The only thing I'm dying for is to go home, S said, his back still to Kay. Kay checked the watch on his right hand. Yeah, but come on. We can't go home after coming all this way and seeing nothing. Let's stick around for a bit longer. You can stick around by yourself. Don't be so cold, S. We're buddies, aren't we? Come on, check out the stars if you're that bored. (sighs) Hurry up and feel like you want to die already. They were just like watching a comedy duo, and they were once again going strong. And so... We agreed to wait another 20 minutes, not a second longer, to see if something might happen. All three of us sat on the guardrail, our legs straight out towards the sea. I stared blankly at the sky, while S crossed his arms and closed his eyes. K, meanwhile, looked around impatiently. Shit, I need to take a piss, K said after about 10 minutes. He stood up and then started walking back to the rest stop. I turned to look at S and he was still sitting there with his eyes closed, unmoving. I looked back up at the sky. I suddenly remembered the story Kay had told us earlier. Was it really true that you suddenly got an urge to die when you came to this cliff? I certainly didn't feel any different. They call this place Cape Companion, right? Even though I knew it was S's voice coming from right beside me, 
I still jumped in surprise. Huh? Why are you asking that now? No reason. Light from the nearby streetlight lit up his face just vaguely. His eyes were still closed. Kay told us that story before, yeah? One person tried to jump. Two people fell, but only one died. Something about it doesn't feel right. I've been thinking about it. And? Did you figure it out? Not really. Maybe the story just got exaggerated over the years or something. If it was all just supernatural stuff to begin with, then I wouldn't have to think about it in the first place. Yeah. I didn't know exactly what it was that was bothering S, so I just randomly agreed. He didn't say anything more than that. Maybe he really was just tired. Before long, I heard footsteps and turned around. It was Kay. He was walking up the hill towards us. It felt like he'd been gone for ages. I planned on asking him if we should leave once he came over, but something about him seemed odd. He walked unsteadily. Something wasn't right. I stood up. Hey, Kay, are you alright? There was no response. He just continued walking on unsteady legs. Hey! As he reached us, he stepped over the guardrail and walked past us. The look on his face was blank and his eyes looked straight ahead. The edge of the cliff was like the tip of a triangle. There was nothing past that. Kay didn't turn around. Was he screwing with us? Kay's back. The unending darkness past the cliff. The ocean. Something was wrong. I suddenly broke out into a cold sweat. Hey! Kay! I reached out to pull him back, but as I got closer, someone grabbed my shoulder. I turned around. It was S. Leave him be. His voice was oddly calm. But he's gonna... That's not Kay. Huh? I turned to look at the figure walking away from us towards the edge of the cliff. No matter how you looked at it, it was Kay. The same guy we were with just before. What time is it? S turned to me and asked. He was sweating as well. Answer me. What time is it? The look on his face was dead serious. I had no idea what was going on, but I looked at my watch. It's 11.40. I thought so. Then, that's not Kay. He wasn't making any sense, but I couldn't shake his grip on my shoulder either. So I just watched that person that looked like Kay in front of us. That wasn't Kay? So then, who was it? And what did it have to do with the time? Thinking it was Kay, I reached out for him with an open hand. But confused and suspicious, I lowered that same arm. At that same moment, the figure in front of us turned, but only his head. 180 degrees. He smiled, a sickening, warped smile on Kay's face. And with that, I knew that wasn't Kay at all. He gave that creepy smile to S and I, and then 
his head turned back around, and he jumped. Ah! The sound escaped my lips before I could stop it. He disappeared from our field of vision, just like that, with a smile that never left his lips. There was no sound of anything hitting the water. He jumped? For a moment, I was dumbfounded. I think my mouth was still hanging open as well. S walked past me as I stood frozen on the spot, and a few metres ahead of us, peered over the edge of the cliff into the water. There's nothing there. Nothing floating, either. I couldn't say anything. S walked past me again. Hey, let's go. Kay's fine. He stepped over the guardrail and started to hurry back to the rest stop. I finally came back to my senses and, after debating whether I should follow S or look over the cliff, I hurried after him. S? What about the police? Not yet. S went down to the rest area, passed by the car, and went straight to the toilets. I followed him. The moment we were in, relief washed over me. Kay was lying passed out in front of the mirror. I rushed over and he was sleeping peacefully. Kay probably would have been happier if he had fainted. I still couldn't believe he was there. Like, even though that thing wasn't Kay, something that looked just like him had jumped over the cliff. Hey, Kay. S bent down and lightly knocked the sleeping Kay on the right side of his head. On the third knock, he woke up. Ow! What the hell, man? Wait, what the hell? Where am I? It was Kay, without a doubt. Suddenly, I felt a rush of relief, and as Kay sat up, I kicked him in the back. Ow! What the... What did I even do? I wondered what on earth I should say to him, but in the end, I just told him straight. You were... No, someone who looked just like you, jumped off the cliff in front of us. Kay blinked several times. Huh? You're kidding. Wait, I died? Shit, no way man, I wish I could have seen it. Yep, it was definitely Kay. No ifs or buts about it. I almost laughed at the absurdity of it. Alright guys, let's go home, S said. Eh? No way! If something that cool happened, then I'm staying. I'm the only one who didn't get to see anything. God, you're annoying. Twenty minutes have passed. I'm leaving. You can decide for yourself whether you want to come back with me or find another way home, S said, and then left the toilets. As though he had forgotten something, he then suddenly came back. Oh yeah, I forgot this. He muttered and then he stood in front of the mirror. Smash! A strange sound echoed throughout the empty toilets late at night. S held a bottle in his hand. He smashed the bottom of it the hardest part, right into the mirror. Cracks spread out like a spider web, and everything that reflected in it looked warped and strange. Kay and I stood frozen like stones. 
S pulled the bottle away from the mirror with a blank look on his face, and then turned to us again. Come on, let's go. Kay and I looked at each other without saying a word. Then we followed S's orders and hurried out of the toilets towards the car. In the end, we didn't call the police. Nobody died. We didn't see anything. Because that was what S said. On the way home, Kay suddenly fell asleep in the back seat after refusing to shut up the whole time. When I realised this, I turned to S. Hey, how did you know that wasn't Kay back there? What do you mean? That figure that looked like Kay who jumped in front of us. Ah. His face, clothes, everything, all looked exactly like Kay. How were you able to tell that it wasn't him? S pointed to his left wrist as he drove. That guy's watch was on his left wrist. Kay always wears his on his right. Just like right now. Huh? That's why I thought it was strange and told you to leave him. The numbers were backwards as well. It said 120. That's how I knew. 1140. 120. Opposites in a mirror. I see. That's why you broke the mirror. Hmm? Ah. No. That was just me venting because I saw something I didn't want to. What? S wasn't the kind of guy to act out like that, but whatever. Still, S's observational skills were beyond compare. Normally, I wouldn't notice anything like that. I would never pay that close attention. Never. And that was evidenced by the fact that I didn't realise it wasn't Kay. But don't you think we should actually call the police? I said, and S shook his head. We didn't see anything. Kay didn't die. Leave it at that. Yeah, maybe it was better that way. But hearing it come from S felt a little odd. And yeah, something inside told me it was unlikely they'd find any body down there. But still, Supposing you reached out and grabbed him, you probably would have gone over with him, S said with a hint of emotion in his voice. A chill ran down my spine. They did name it Cape Companion, after all. S let out a big yawn. Behind us, K mumbled something in his sleep. Another chill ran through me. I was glad to be alive. But on that note, I'm seriously tired. If we get into an accident and I drag you down with me, sorry man, S said. He was no doubt joking, but I couldn't find it in me to laugh. The car meandered along the empty night roads, snaking back towards home. Next up, there's a particular toilet in a school dorm that's locked and forbidden to use. For the student who's living in the room next door, he's unfortunately about to find out why. Find out in... Locked Toilet. This is something I once experienced at school. My school, which is to say... 
the school I graduated from more than ten years ago, had dorms for students who lived too far away to stay in. There were three dorms, one for the junior high first and second graders, another for the junior high third graders and high school first graders, and then another for the second and third grade high schoolers. I was in the first grade of high school at the time, so I moved into the second dorm. These dorms had a basement and then went up three storeys, one floor for each. Well, it was built on a slope, so it might be more correct to say that the building was just four floors overall, in an L shape. Anyway, the story in question happened when I moved into a room on the third floor. Each floor had toilets in two locations, but for some reason, the third floor only had one. The other toilet, for some reason, was locked and nobody allowed inside. And as circumstances would have it, my room was the one right next to this locked toilet. It was around the start of September, right as the second semester was about to start. The humid summer heat continued to linger, and for some reason, something about my dorm room just didn't feel right. However, the building itself was rather old and kind of falling apart, so I figured that this strange feeling I had was probably because of that. These dorm rooms consisted of two bunk beds each, with two high school first graders sharing one room with two junior high third graders. The high schoolers generally got the first pick of beds, and in general, most of them picked the bottom of the bunks. The dorms were basically falling apart at the seams. The rooms were full of centipedes and cockroaches, and because I hated such things, I picked the top bunk without hesitation. One night, I was having trouble getting to sleep. The only thing I could hear was the sound of the other three students sleeping soundly nearby. A vague uneasiness came over me, and no matter what I tried, I just couldn't get to sleep. Before long, I realised that I could no longer move. It seemed I was suffering from so-called sleep paralysis. They say that when something like this happens, you can often hear tapping noises and whatnot, but there was nothing like that for me. I just suddenly couldn't move at all. As I lay in bed frozen, I suddenly heard the door to the locked toilet the next room over open. Creak. Oh shit. I tried desperately to close my eyes. My body was frozen, but I was able to do at least that. Then I heard what sounded like footsteps coming from the locked toilet. Those footsteps stopped in front of the door opposite the toilet. For some reason, I was able to clearly determine where that thing that came out of the toilet had stopped. Don't come in here. I prayed with all my might, but then the pitter-patter of footsteps moved to our door instead. Inside, I started screaming like mad, but I don't know whether that thing out there seemed to understand me or not. But then it moved on again. Pitter-patter. Pitter-patter. I wanted to sigh in relief, but I was still frozen on the spot. Still, I wanted to cry. I was so happy that that thing moved on past our room. Whatever it was, it stopped in front of each door on the floor before it moved on again, ultimately checking each and every one. 
It must have reached the end of the L shape, and still I was frozen and unable to move. Then it started walking back towards us again. Pitter patter, pitter patter. This time it didn't stop in front of each door, but rather seemed to be heading straight back towards the toilet. Hurry up and go back where you came from already! I prayed as hard as I could. But that thing stopped in front of our room again. And then it stepped inside. Pitter patter, pitter patter. I wasn't just losing my mind, I was full on crying. But strangely, no tears came out. Then it stopped in front of my bed. I keenly knew by that point that this thing was something like a human. After all, I was on the top bunk and its face was right next to mine. It was so real that I could even feel its breath. Then it spoke. My bed. As soon as I heard that, my consciousness faded away. In other words, I passed out. That was the first time I'd ever passed out, by the way, and it's not something I ever want to do again. I later told the dormitory dean about what happened, entirely convinced that he wouldn't believe me anyway. I see. So you saw him too, he said. That very same day, I pleaded with him to let me move to another room. According to the dean, there were students who had that same experience every two or three years. I also heard another story, although it wasn't until after I graduated, but apparently there was a student at the school before my time who had a heart condition, and he was so troubled by his illness that he took his own life in that now-locked toilet. The room he was staying in at the time was, of course, my room, and his bed was the one I was sleeping on too. This next story features yet another strange box, although what's hidden inside this one may be rather unexpected. Find out why in Shijima no Kami. About three years ago, when my parents' house was being demolished because it was old and falling apart, one of the contractors handed me a cylindrical box. We found this under the floorboards, he said as he handed it over. What the hell is this, I thought, and that night we decided to examine it as a family. Strange would probably be the most fitting word for the box. It was 13 centimetres in diameter and 22 centimetres long, made of polonia wood and somewhat resembled a glasses case. It was also covered in traditional Japanese paper that had Shijima no Kami written on it. Shijima? What did that mean? And moreover, how was one supposed to even open this box? What made the box so strange was that there was nothing that even vaguely looked like a lid, nor could I figure out how you were supposed to open it. The only thing I could see was something that looked like a metal fixture with hinges. We discussed it as a family for about 20 minutes, before my younger sister said, Maybe it's just a groove. Everyone was like, 
Eh? I checked it with a ruler and I think this groove was about 4mm wide. The part I thought could potentially be a lid was actually just a fake groove. And so, none of us were able to open it. We gave up and called it a night. The next day, I took the box to my friend A's house. He was studying folklore and such at university, so I thought maybe he could take a look at it. A was fascinated by the box and took it from me the moment he saw it. Do you mind if I remove the hinges? He asked. I gave the okay and he took out some tools from his desk, then started fiddling with it, before one of the hinges came off, revealing a hole. It was tiny, only about one millimeter wide. What's that? I asked. I think this is the real lid, A answered with a smug, self-satisfied look on his face. He then removed the other hinge and stuck an Allen key into the small hole. This was followed by a dry, light clicking sound, and the box opened. It's hard to explain how the box opened exactly, but what was even more surprising was the contents. There was a red cloth that seemed to be wrapped around something. Nervously, we opened it, and inside was a rectangular box with a mirror. Another box, I said, and A went pale. This isn't just any box, he muttered, and his hand started shaking. This is a coffin. Huh? A coffin? What was that supposed to mean? I barely had time to get the words out before A continued. What should we do? Open it? I was worried something bad might happen if we did, like we might be cursed or something. But still, despite the fear, we had come all this way, and I was curious, so it was like we had an obligation to look inside. Let's do it, I said. All right, A said after a brief silence, and as the air hung heavy around us, he opened the small coffin. It was full of what looked like hair. Could it be that the Shijima no Kami that was written on the box wasn't referring to a Kami-sama, but actually to somebody called Shijima's hair instead? And if so, why was there so much so tightly packed in there? We discussed various things, but none of them were especially realistic. Do you mind if I hold on to this for a while? A said, his voice quiet. I readily agreed, and then went home. Sometime later, A called me. This is bad, man. I listened with bated breath, waiting to hear what he had to say. According to him, Shijima no Kami didn't mean Shijima's hair, but rather, it really did refer to a Kami-sama by the name of Shijima. If you look it up on the internet, then you can see for yourself, but apparently it means to keep one's mouth closed, to remain silent, meaning this was a kami who never opened their mouth. I wondered if such a kami actually existed, and if so, where were they worshipped? The box was found in Shikoku, but I wasn't able to find anything in Shikoku's history that 
referred to a Shijima no Kami. And the feeling inspired by the phrase to keep one's mouth shut and remain silent somewhat reminded me of the box that was difficult to open. A then continued, I really don't know what to do with this anymore. It's beyond my powers. Tomorrow, I'm going to take it to a Shinto priest I know and have him look at it. You should come with me, he said. Well, we had come this far. What other choice did I have? The next day, I went with A to visit this priest at his shrine. The moment the priest saw the box, he frowned. Hmm, this is... he muttered. Do you know what it is? I asked nervously. No, I don't, but... this seal. Then he started speaking in the Tosa dialect. I fear this box once belonged to an omyoji by the name of Monobe. My guess is that the inside housed something closer to a yokai than a human. I have no idea why it was in your house, but you may have broken the seal keeping something terrible inside. I couldn't stop myself from shaking. What should we do? A asked. I don't know, the priest said simply. Look, I don't want to, but I'll take it off your hands, he continued. If I uncover anything, I'll let you know. A then handed the box over to the priest. A few days later, the priest called A. According to what A told me, Shijima no Kami once lived in the mountains of Tosa, and it resembled something like a giant clam with hair. Because it would start acting violent during the typhoon season, it was sealed using the way of Izanagi, a path of Onmyodo that was passed down in the Monobe village at the time. How it ended up in our house, however, the priest had no idea. Several years have passed since then, and nothing has happened to either of us. The priest did have one more thing to say, though. I think Shijima no Kami has returned deep into the mountains. I find it hard to believe it would cause any trouble now, with how much the times have changed, but... Even now, the priest is still in possession of that box. Taxis and night roads seem like a terrible combination, but when you add heavy rain and the potential of spooks, well, find out what happens in The Night Shift Customer. This is a story I heard from my father, a taxi driver. I heard this story about 10 years ago, so let me tell you about it now. My father generally took the night shift when he was driving, because the rate of pay was better then. One day, it was raining rather lightly in the morning, but by that night, it was pouring. Heavy rains are expected tonight, so please drive with caution, the weather report said. Why don't you take today off? I remember saying to my father, because I was worried about him driving. It's fine. It's much easier to drive at night. The roads are less crowded and there are less bad drivers around as well. Plus, the pay is much better, he said. Well, be careful, was all I could say, and then saw him off to work. 
He started his night shift and drove the same route he did the night before. Then he got a call over the wireless from head office that a customer had booked a specific time. They wanted a car at 11pm near bus stop A on the outskirts of town. Bus stop A was in the mountains and the only things nearby were a cemetery and a nursing home. And so, not many people were around that area at night. In the heavy rain, my father turned the car on at 10.50pm. As he was waiting for the customer, he suddenly heard a voice behind him at 11 on the dot. Excuse me? Huh? He jumped in surprise and turned around, and a woman wearing a kimono was already sitting in the back seat. What the hell? But I didn't even open the door. Maybe I didn't notice her in the rain, he thought. Something didn't feel right, but either way, the customer was there and he had a job to do. And where are we going today? he asked. Please wait a moment, the woman said, and then fell silent again. As my father waited for her to speak again, the rain outside grew heavier. Well, it's not a typhoon at least, but this weather sure is awful, huh? He said, trying to break the uncomfortable silence. Yes, but I like the rain, the woman said. I feel like I become restless if it's sunny. The world sure is full of strange people, my father thought when hearing that. Driver, I'll pay you now, so... Please drive as far as this will take me, she then said. Huh? My father said in surprise, but the look on the woman's face was quite serious. Well, maybe she'll change her mind once we start driving, he thought, and it wasn't like he could refuse her anyway, so he started driving. However, while they were driving, my father said that there was something wrong with the taxi, the GPS wasn't working properly, even when he pressed the display on the car navigation. He was also unable to contact the head office over the wireless. Maybe it's because of the rain, he thought. He didn't think that going any further with the taxi like this would be a good idea, so he stopped the car and turned to talk to the customer. Ma'am, I only very rarely drive out here, and I can't say I know the area very well. So, if you don't mind, would you be able to give me directions? But when he looked in the back seat, the woman was gone. Instead, he found only a single handkerchief. Inside, he found a letter and a single 10,000 yen note. Although it was brief, thank you for our time together. Thanks to you, I am able to pass on to heaven with no regrets. We later discovered that there was a famous incident in which a plane crashed in the mountains near bus stop A. Maybe she was someone who died in that accident, my father said as he was telling me the story. Ever since that day, my father always visits the memorial stone that was erected in remembrance of that accident on the anniversary to pray for the lives that were lost. For our last story this week, we're once again hitting the road, but this time, it's a newly built highway way out in the mountains. It's faster than taking the old road, so it should be no problem, right? Well, find out what's wrong with it in... The Newly Built Road. 
This is a pretty common story, but I heard this from my friend. So, a friend of this friend. His family home was way out in the mountains of the Kinky region. That friend worked in Osaka, and because he hadn't been home in several years, he planned to go back during the upcoming Obon holidays. It had been forever since he returned to his parents' house, so he called one of his childhood friends, who lived in the next town, and said he was going to head over there on his scooter to see him. This childhood friend hadn't seen him in years, so he was overjoyed to hear from him, and told him to hurry over. He jumped on his scooter shortly before lunch, and prepared to drive the short 30 minutes along a road that brought back many memories. Just after he got on his scooter and shortly before hitting the National Highway, he suddenly looked up and saw a sign stating that a newly built highway led straight to the next town. Well, this would no doubt be faster than usual. Maybe this is the road Mum was telling me about the other day, he thought. But instead of taking the new road, he decided to continue down the old one. She said it was still under construction, though. Looks like it's already done. When he arrived in the next town, he met up with his friend, who tried to convince him to stay the night. Come on, you should stay here tonight. I have to go back tomorrow, but I'll be back for New Year's, so I'll stay over then. And so, after hanging out, he hit the road to go home. Even in summer, the sun sets early in the mountains, and soon the evening light transformed into darkness. As he hurried back, he suddenly saw the entrance for that newly built highway again. It would no doubt be faster, and it was already finished, so he wondered if maybe he should go home that way instead. He turned his scooter and started towards the new road on the mountain. It was freshly paved, so his tyres slid across its surface smoothly, unlike the country roads. And even though it was dark, he knew the area well, so he was able to ride well without fear. However, as he approached the middle of the mountain, he heard a strange sound coming from the surface of the road that was different to the scooter's engine. It wasn't anything he'd ever heard before. What the hell was that? He tried to ignore it, but it gradually got louder, until he could hear it very clearly. It was clearly a woman laughing. What the hell? Oh shit! He rode as fast as he could to get away from the voice, but no matter what, he could still hear it right behind him. Oh shit, oh shit, it's right behind me! He was unable to turn around or even look in the mirror. He just kept riding, looking at the road lit up beneath his light. Get off, get off! He screamed, not just inside, but outside as well. But that woman's voice kept getting closer, until it was right on him. Help me! At that moment, his scooter bounced like something had jumped on it. There was a loud crash, and his scooter fell to the road. He was thrown from it, and he hit the road like a log. Ow, 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 ow. Luckily, he didn't seem to be badly injured. He slowly stood up, turned to his scooter, and luckily, it seemed okay as well. 
other than a few light scratches. However, something even more terrifying was waiting for him up ahead. As he staggered over to the scooter, which still had its light on, he realised that the road just ahead of him was still under construction, and that it dropped off suddenly into a deep cliff. Oh, what the hell? If I'd have gone any further, then... Already gripped by fear, a new terror took hold of him. As he looked over the edge of the cliff, he heard a voice right next to his ear. It was that same voice he had just heard, but this time, it also spoke. Damn it. Honestly fearing that he was going to wet himself, he got back on his scooter and turned back the way he came. He saw numerous signs warning that the road was closed that he hadn't seen on the way in. He rode past them and when he finally arrived home, he was already half crazed. He explained what happened to his family and then asked for help getting his scooter fixed. I told you that road was still under construction, his mother said as she tended to his wounds. You almost became the third victim. Apparently, two people had already died there, and if they left that unfinished road as it was, then it would continue to lead straight to hell. Don't forget to check out Bunkai, Baffling Japanese Internet Mysteries Volume 3, out on Amazon right now. And check out our newly revamped merchandise store at kowabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Kowabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on kowabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Japan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks guys, stay safe and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to koabana.net now.